0: Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the fifth part of our series, Soul Care. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Ephesians chapter four, verse one, it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. I want to speak uh, this morning from the topic of healthy relationships, healthy relationships. Hey, can we put our hands together one more time? You guys can find a seat this morning. So glad you guys could be here. What's up, 930? How's everyone doing today? Good. Hey, do you mind just, can you just say hello to the person beside you? If you've never met them before, that's the perfect time to say, hey, what's up? Hey, if you are new, visiting, watching online, my name is Harrison. I'm just so glad you guys could be here today. Uh, We are in a series here at church called Soul Care. Soul Care. Any of you guys been here, any part to this series so far? Come on. So uh, we kind of have a basic premise in this series that God wants our souls to be healthy. That's it. God wants our souls to be healthy. Now, we uh, here at church, we preach in series, and what a series is, it's just a collection of messages, kind of with all one central theme. Uh, So I say that to say, if you've missed any parts of this series, everything is online for you to catch up and uh, just kind of get to where we are today. Uh, But I kind of describe it like each message is a course in the meal. So if you come today, Part five of six, I don't know what that is, somewhere in the middle of a meal, not the dessert, but you fancy people can let me know. Point being, every course of the meal will taste good. It's going to be good, because the Spirit speaks every week. But I think together, when you can experience it all together, you'll get the fullness of kind of where we are. So I say that to say, if you've missed any parts, catch up uh, If you haven't been here at all, it's okay. Today is still going to be great because God is speaking today. Amen? Let's go. So uh, in this series, basic principle we've had. If you want to have an unhealthy soul, you want to have an unhealthy soul, we say make your life all about you. The basic principle of an unhealthy soul is self Worship. You want to be unhealthy? Worship yourself, follow your feelings, every inclination, follow it. You think, therefore you are. One-way ticket to an unhealthy soul. So what we have said in this series is how to have a healthy soul involves self-denial. It means that I am not my feelings, I am not my surface emotions, I can actually be something other than I think I am. And so one of the ways that we have a healthy soul is we learn to deny certain inclinations. What we said is uh, you don't have to be a monk to be a Christian or to have a healthy soul. However, if you want to be healthy, you need to learn the process of self-denial. And so today, when we talk uh, about relationships, I believe in order for us to have healthy relationships, this principle of self-denial is extremely important. Um, So, Uh, I kind of have a premise today when it comes to relationships. At the very end of the day, all of us in some sense are in a relationship. And uh, what I want to do is I don't want to just talk about a specific kind of relationship. I'm not going to talk about only romantic or only family or only friendships. I want to talk about all relationships. That's the premise of today's message, how to be healthy in relationship, period, And the reason I want to do that is even though I will hit specifically on certain things, I just happen to believe that if you are not healthy in certain relationships in your life, chances are you're not healthy in all of your relationships. Because a lot of us, we kind of buy this lie that says, like, you know what? I'm really good, like, with my spouse. I'm really good with my partner. It's just so weird. When I go to work, everyone hates me. And I hate them. (laughs) Or vice versa. Like, I'm just crushing it with my friends. I'm great with the boys, but my wife can't stand me. But, like, I'm good in certain areas. Now, I will grant that I believe perhaps you are better in some relationships as opposed to others. But what I also believe to be true and what we have said in this series is that you and I are not compartmentalized beings. And so what that means is if I'm struggling in some of my relationships, chances are it is creeping over into all of our relationships. I know this to be true in my life. If I am struggling in any kind of relationship, I don't just disconnect that from my marriage. It comes over. It it becomes a part of it in some Way. And so that's why today I'm intentionally giving us some, I think, steps. And it's a very practical message today in order that we can have healthy relationships, period. So my premise today when it comes to relationships, pretty simple. Relationships are hard. That's my basic premise for today. Relationships are hard. I was thinking this week of a saying. You guys all know this saying. And the first word can change depending on what you're talking about. But I put in relationships. And when I was thinking about relationships, I was thinking, relationships, you can't live with them, but you can't live without them. You know that saying? Can't live with them, but you can't live without them. Relationships, can't live with them, same time, can't live without them. You see, what's interesting is, I think we all know this to be true, but the greatest pain we will ever experience in our life 9.9 times out of 10 has something to do relationally. The pain we feel is connected in some way to a relationship, friendship, romantic, or otherwise. A really interesting statistic, talking about people that have been divorced. Last week, I said those of us who've been divorced, and a lot of people were like, you've been divorced? No, I was just trying to be, like, relatable, you know, like those of us. But um, I haven't been divorced because I didn't get married at 19 and remarried at 23. Um, (laughs) For people who've been divorced, just to clarify that, people were asking questions last week. Um, In 1990, 80% of people that divorced remarried. And uh, the, the number has gone down a little bit, depending, again, on what statistics you believe. Right now, they say about 36 to 40% of people get remarried after divorce. Now, I don't believe it's that people are getting into less relationships. It's just things like common law um, and long-term partners are more prevalent than they were in 1990. But the point being, anyone that has been divorced will tell you that the process is extremely painful. Yet, for as painful as it is, statistics tell us, generally speaking, we get into new relationships. Right? Can't live with them, can't live without them. Now, I don't have any stats for this, but I believe this to be true. You can fact check me. I think friendships, 100% of people that have been hurt in, I'll call it, non-romantic relationships, 100% go on to form more relationships. Because for as painful as relationships can be, you and I are wired to be in relationship with people. It is the way in which God created us. And one of the things that we talked about last week is that anything that God has created and given to us is intrinsically good. We make it bad, right? Sex, last week, if you guys were here, good. God gives it to us as a gift. It's us that kind of mess around with it. And it's the same thing when it comes to our relationships. So for as hard as relationships are, I happen to believe that we can actually have healthy relationships. And that's where I want to go in part five of soul care. Can we do that? So I'm going to give us three things this morning, super simple message, three ways that we can have healthier relationships. So Ephesians chapter four, this is Paul in the New Testament. Uh, He was a pastor, church planter. He's writing to a church in a place called Ephesus. And this is what he says in chapter four. He's explained the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Then he says, I as a prisoner for the Lord urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received so paul here prisoner for the lord when he says this there's a double meaning like literally, he's, he's a prisoner for the Lord, like he has been jailed on behalf of following Jesus. But in the Greek, how he describes it, he's also literally saying, I'm a prisoner in the Lord. I mean, I'm a prisoner for Jesus, I'm also a prisoner in Jesus. What does that mean? He's basically saying, my life is so devoted to Jesus, you could almost say that I am in prison with him kind of like an intense metaphor, but Paul is trying to show us the level of commitment he has to Jesus. And so he's saying, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So here is the first way that we have healthy relationships. Number one, take your calling seriously. Take your calling seriously. So I want us to understand this. Every person in this room, we have different callings. Some of us are brother. Some of us are sister, wife, husband, boss, girl boss, CEO, (laughs) whatever. All of us have a calling. And those callings are important. Because inevitably, whatever your calling is, in some way, it determines how you live. If I'm a father, that calling will determine a lot of how I'm going to live my life. But I'm going to get to those, I'll call them sub-callings, because what I want us to understand, what Paul is saying when he says, take your calling seriously, he is not talking about any of those titles. Although they are important, although they have meaning, what Paul is talking about is our utmost calling. And our utmost calling, if you did not know this, is In the words of Paul, prisoner in Jesus. Now, that's kind of harsh. I know you guys don't like that. This is St. Albert. So we'll we'll, we'll dial it back a little bit. Follower of Jesus. The ultimate calling in our life, in the words of the, the New Testament, the highest calling in our life is to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, I grant... Not everyone maybe is at that place where they fully identify yet as a disciple of Jesus. Totally fine. But what I would say is this. If you would consider yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself saved, born again, all of that amazing stuff and the highest calling in your life is disciple slash follower slash prisoner in Jesus. It seems simple, but we live in a cultural moment right now where no one really wants to define anything. You guys know what I'm talking about? This starts relationally, in in romantic relationships. A lot of people, it's like, well, we don't really want to define anything. We're just friends. We're just hanging out. Yeah, we live together, but we're still not going to quite define it just yet. And I think that, that that cultural idea of not defining things has moved past even relationships. But a lot of us, even when it comes to our careers, It's like yeah, like I have this job, but like I think um, I might do this, or I I know I'm like I'm I'm registered here, but my mind is kind of over here. And I think you guys know what I'm saying. We we kind of live in this cultural moment where we really struggle to define things, and what happens and why this is important is that how we define ourselves pretty simply determines how we behave. Right? I, I advise people all the time, specifically young ladies, I say, if you're with someone and he has an absolute fear of defining your relationship, I would encourage you to run. Mom. Now, if it's been one week, then he might have to run if you want him to define it. But <laughs> if, it's been, if it's been an extended period of time, because what he's saying really The undertones of this is the reason I don't want to define this is because I know when it is defined, it determines how I have to behave. You guys see what I'm saying? And so if he's afraid to define it, you better be afraid because he doesn't want to change his behavior. Do you guys see what I'm saying? And so this cultural moment, and this is why it extends to everything, really, we have a fear of commitment. Because we know that if I'm committed to something, it will determine how I behave. And this is so true when it comes to Christianity. Because a lot of us are even in this place where it's like, I don't fully want to define my faith. And when we say things like, ooh, I don't like the term Christian. Don't want to turn people off. But a lot of times, if we're truly being honest, the undertones of it, is if I, know I def- if I define myself in one way, it determines how I behave. Because if you did not know this, when we bear the name of Jesus, when we call ourselves disciples, followers of Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. I'll give you guys a very simple example, but it's one that I think is the beginning of a journey. Baptism, water baptism. It's a pretty, it's a pretty, like, I think, simple concept in the sense of it's simply this. If you have decided, if you have believed that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died a sinner's death for our sins, bore all the sin of humanity on the cross, rose on the third day that anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you believe that gospel message, the next step, he says, is repent and be baptized. Now, a lot of times people view baptism as like the last step. It's the very last thing I do. Wrong. It's the first thing that we do. It is the first thing that is defining where I stand in relationship to Jesus. But it is also one thing that Jesus gives to us as a mark of allegiance. Because when I get baptized and I take that plunge in front of everyone, and in the last couple of weeks, a little bit cold of a plunge when it comes to our tank, what what we are saying is that from this day forward, my life is determined by something different. It is not determined by me. It is not determined by my feelings, but my allegiance to Jesus. If I follow Jesus, everything changes. Now, you're saying to yourself, Harrison, great, cool. What does this have to do with relationships? Everything. Because the Bible, the New Testament, specifically when it comes to how we live out our faith, the vast majority of the New Testament deals with interpersonal relationships, In fact, I would say it like this, the mark of our salvation, or even the proof of our salvation, is best seen in how we relate to other people. And so, for us, especially those of us that struggle in relationships, friendships, romantic, and otherwise, I think it's good news that the Bible gives us a whole lot on how to have healthy relationships. So you don't have to struggle anymore, like, is it three texts a week, is that what's appropriate, like... Is Friday the day that us friends hang together? I'll give you some better, more definite boundaries for healthy relationships. Can we do that? First one, as I said, was take your calling seriously. Number two is this. Again, Paul says, prisoner for the Lord, live a life worthy of your calling. He says, be humble sometimes. Be humble when you're in the right I misread that. It says be completely humble. Complete, as in full. Gentle. Patient. Other translations say long-suffering. Bearing with one another in love. So, number two, what is the, what is the, the key to a healthy relationship? I have to be humble. I have to be humble. Listen, gentleness Patience, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. None of those things are possible unless I am first humble. Now, you did not know this perhaps, but I will let you know, every single conflict you have ever experienced in your life is rooted in one thing and one thing only. Every conflict is rooted in offense. Someone is offended. Many times, both parties are offended. And so what happens, especially in offense, is that offense makes it extremely difficult to see things from anyone's perspective other than our own. And what happens, especially in conflict, when I can only see my perspective, then there's never resolution. And when there isn't resolution, what happens is that bitterness begins to grow, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And so I have a fancy way of saying it. It's pretty simple like this. Conflict grows where humility shrinks. Conflict grows where humility shrinks. If I am unable to see things from my wife's perspective, from my best friend's perspective, the conflict will grow. The offense will grow. And what happens when offense grows is bitterness begins to take root. And what happens with bitterness is pretty simple. You can write this down. I don't have a slide, but bitterness makes my perspective small and my opinion large. Can I say it again? Bitterness makes my perspective small and my opinion large. And so one of the things that goes through our heads in conflict, every single one of us, is something along the lines of, how could they? How could they do this to me? Weren't they thinking about me? And and the more we go in that line of thinking, our humility shrinks and shrinks and shrinks, and eventually the person, sometimes the person even sleeping next to us, becomes enemy number one because we've allowed bitterness to take root. And so the solution is to be humble, is to be humble, and to see things not simply from my perspective, but from others. Now, Be humble is two words, (laughs) and very simple, in word. Not so much in practice. Because how do I have the ability to see things from someone else's perspective, specifically when I am in the midst of my hurt, when I am in the midst of my pain? And so I want to give us two things that I believe are the roadmap to learning to be humble. Number one is this, look to the cross. If I want to be humble... This is the absolute starting point. I must look to the cross. If you did not know this, Jesus, on the cross, he died a sinner's death. And what we may, when, when we say that as Christians, what we are saying is that literally he did nothing to be considered guilty. He was sinless. He was God, perfect, yet they crucified him. And so literally, he is the only person in the history of the world who can fully say he did nothing wrong. Jesus did nothing wrong. Brothers and sisters, I love you, but in your conflict, you're not Jesus. And so all of us have done something wrong. Jesus, nothing, has done nothing wrong. Are we on the same page? Yet, this is what he says, some of his final words. He says, Father, looking out to the people, he says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. You want to know what humility is? Humility is the ability to see the best in people, not the worst. You see, in conflict and in pain, we want to see the worst. We want to believe that people hurt us intentionally, that they hate us, that they don't like us. But Jesus on the cross, and listen to this, he understands humanity. He understands you and I better than we could ever understand ourselves. He has a divine picture. He, he's, he's literally God. And so he can actually, when, when, he says, when he says this, this is truth. They know not what they do. All of us, truly at some point, when we hurt each other, we don't actually know what we're doing. We've been deceived in some way by bitterness, by resentment, by hurt. Humility is saying, I'm not going to assume the worst. I'm going to look for the best. Philippians chapter 2, this is New Testament. Paul again, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking on the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. Listen, we talk a lot about like, what Jesus did on the cross. Underline this, he humbled himself. In order for him to get to the cross, he had to humble himself. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know what this means? In that conflict where you think you are the right party, the road to restoration is found in humbling yourself and saying, even if I feel like I am not in the wrong, I'm going to seek reconciliation. Andy Stanley, he has this saying, he says, what does love, a New Testament's morality is, what does love require me to do? That's how I live as a Christian. Um, I, I want to take it not a step further, but say it a different way. What does the cross require me to do? So, so, so think of that situation, that hurt, that pain, that, that relationship that you feel is too far gone. And you need to ask yourself, if my highest calling is to follow Jesus, what does the cross require me to do? If Jesus forgave, it's not so can I it's so must i he forgave so i must you see a lot of times we have this idea that if we forgive or if we let people off the hook like we're going to be taken advantage of we're going to be trampled we're going to be crushed and a lot of times our fear is well they're not going to respond properly and, and I, I know some of us are thinking of certain situations. You're saying, Harrison, it's, it's too far gone. It's not, it's not going to work out. They're not going to respond how I want them to respond. So it's not even worth it. Romans 12. For, for those situations where it seems really hard. He says, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone listen if we're being honest we fall short many times on this this as far as possible (laughs) we go like i tried once i'm done as far as depends on you nothing to do with them as far as depends on you live at peace with everyone it's a convicting line of scripture And here's the good news, because I do recognize there are people in life that maybe are just purely evil. That is not the majority of people that we deal with. But for those ones, the, the point ones, it's okay. He says, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. As far as you can, live at peace. And if it's not possible, it's in the Lord's hands. But I must be humble enough to say truly and purely, did I do everything in my power to pursue peace? Have I been living in the light of the cross? So, number one, how do I be humble? I have to look to the cross. Number two is this, I must be self-aware. So, in order to be self-aware, and this is where I'm really going to encourage you guys to go back and watch week two of this series. Healthy foundations. What we did in that message, if you guys remember, is we went beneath the surface. Remember, I use the analogy of the flood. A lot of times we clear the water out of the house, but we never fix the leak. And so in that message, what I said is that every single one of us in this room, we believe lies that have formed us. Much of who we think we are and much of who we have told ourselves that we are are simply lies. They're defense mechanisms that we have built up to keep us from pain. You guys remember this? Control lie, people-pleasing lie, performance lie. These three lies drive us. And so if I truly want to be humble, I must be self-aware, and I must begin to realize what are some of the forming lies that I believe. Why is this important? Because I can promise you this in the largest conflicts that we have in our life, they all in some way relate to the biggest fear and the biggest lie that we have. Every single time. If you're in a conflict, you're like, why is this person acting so crazy? Because if, it's, if, if that person is hysterical, it's historical. There's something beneath the surface. There's a deep pain, there's a deep wound. You know, it's funny. When I was... Uh, probably like 21, 20, maybe even 19, who knows. Um, I used to think I was really, really self-aware. Like I prided myself in it. Like, man, I'm just, I'm aware. I have a way to see. that <laughs> People can't see. Uh, and the Lord's been taking me on a journey in the last two years just to show me how unaware of my own self I am. And how so much of who I am on the exterior has been built on lies that I believe. But What's funny is that when I, when I take it all back, what I can realize is that in my life, where I'm the most defensive, where I'm the most aggressive, where I'm the most ready for combat, is there has been a lie that has been kind of brought up inside of me that I'm trying to push down. But if I'm not self-aware enough to know the lies I believe, oftentimes I will think that I'm validated in how I'm acting, I had this quote and I've shared it before and I have no clue who said it, but I, I share it often. I tried to find out who said it. Maybe I made it up in my subconscious, but the current version of you will always look back at the previous version of you as immature and unwise. Therefore, you are currently immature and unwise. So I feel, I feel like I'm on a journey of self-awareness and I'm like, I'm dunking on 21-year-old me. But 45-year-old Harrison is going to dunk on me today. Because the journey of the cross and the journey of following Jesus, it is like an onion. He wants to peel back layer after layer and saying, listen, I have true freedom for you. That's when I want to talk about baptism being the first step. It's an amazing decision, but it's just the beginning. Because there's layers that God wants to peel back. There is deep things inside of us that we have believed are just who we are, but they're holding us in bondage. When scripture says it is for freedom. That we have been set free. That's the truth. God wants us to live in freedom, but I can only be free as much as I am self aware. God can't heal what I hide. And God's grace, listen to this God's grace and His grace for us is built upon His divine ability to know who we are at the core of our DNA, at the core. And that is why he's able to say, in truth, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So, two steps again. Take your calling seriously. And number two, be humble. Here's the third one. Ephesians 4, verse 3, continuing. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, and just as you were called To one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Now, I told you guys last week we talked about sexuality. I said God's desire and God's design for sex is oneness. It's unity. But I said that's not the only way to be one. And if you think that's the only route to oneness in your marriage, like you're in big trouble. Because there's a whole lot more that comes than just the physical. But as we see, and this is not just God's desire sexually speaking, but this is God's desire in all of our relationships, romantic and otherwise. It is unity. It's unity. What's funny, a lot of times we talk about like the decline of culture. We say, this culture is so evil. This culture is demonic. I'll tell you the signs of a truly evil and demonic culture. It is a culture that is full of division. That is the sign of a demonic culture, a culture that is divided, a culture that says we pick sides, we pick tribes. We do not see the perspective of anyone else other than our own. The heart of Jesus is always unity. So if you want to have healthy relationships, pretty simple. I have to pursue unity. I have to pursue unity. And I use this word very simply, much like Paul does, because pursue is an active word. Unity does not happen by accident. I'm here to tell you, simply because you had a wedding ceremony, you're not unified. If you do not take the active and continual steps to stay unified. You may not like this one, but just because you met your friend in church doesn't mean that you're automatically unified. These are my church friends. (laughs) Unity does not happen by accident. And one of the things we say around this part is if I am not actively pursuing unity, I'm allowing division. Even more so, if I'm not actively pursuing unity, I can guarantee you I'm living in division. It must be pursued. The question is, how do we pursue unity? Two things. Two things, and this is really building upon being humble, and this is the roadmap to being humble as well. Unity is built from forgiveness and repentance. Repentance and forgiveness. If I want to be unified in marriage, if I want to be unified in relationship, repentance and forgiveness. Look what Psalm 133 says. I want us to see this. Verse 1, it says, How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity. Verse 3, and I've shared this verse a lot with our church, for the Lord bestows his blessing, even life, forevermore. Listen, other translations say the Lord commands his blessing. Where there is unity, the Lord commands his blessing. Listen, you want to be a power couple, be unified. Forget J-Lo and Ben Affleck. You want to be a power couple, be unified. Listen, as much as you hustle together, have date nights, call each other cute pet names, whatever it is that you think will make you unified, unity is found when we are on the same path together pursuing peace, pursuing oneness. When we pursue unity, we are a force to be reckoned with. A church that pursues unity is a force to be reckoned with. It's an unstoppable atmosphere. Jesus says to Peter, he says, the church, I'm gonna build it on you and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Nothing from the external can ever stop the church of Jesus. In the macro, the church of Jesus can't be stopped ever, period. But in the micro, you need to see this, because some of you guys have been there. It's like, I thought that Jesus said, like, the church never end, but you guys have been part of churches that literally ended. Every church, and if there's one that is an outlier, come and talk to me. Every church that has ever ceased in their existence, it has been because of division. And it has never been division from some force outside. It's always from people within. Mm -hmm. Ephesians chapter four, it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Look at this. And do not give the devil a foothold in our lives. You see, I was thinking today, I I was going to say it, but I don't know if it would offend people. But I remember when we were young, um, the demonic thing that like our friends would want to do is go in the bathroom, turn off the light, and say something. I won't say it in case you think it's weird. You guys know what I'm talking about? Because then like a ghost will show up or whatever. I'll tell you some truly demonic sayings that a lot of us live with and think it's okay. Can I, can I tell you some demonic things that we say? Yeah, life's pretty good. I'm just a little bitter at my, my past church. Just a little bitter. Life's pretty good, but like my, my last relationship, I'm just, I'm a little bitter. My last friend group, just a little bitter. And we say it, In a passing by, not a big deal kind of way, but we do not realize that we are speaking the language of the enemy. Because bitterness, above all, above going into your bathroom, turning the lights off, running the water, and saying that thing three times, (laughs) above all of that, bitterness truly gives the devil a foothold into our lives, into our churches. And I believe this wholeheartedly that God has such a plan and such a purpose for your life, for your marriage, for your church. And the only thing that can stop God from the places and the plans that he has for us is if we harbor bitterness and resentment. I read this this week or a few weeks ago. I think I have it on the screen. It says, heaven is the place where everyone is forgiven. Hell is the place where no one is forgiven. When we forgive we bring heaven down. When we hold bitterness, we bring hell up. It's so convicting. Listen, you want to be be like Jesus. right? Like, I want to just be like Jesus. You are never closer to Jesus than when you forgive. You are never more like Jesus than when you forgive. That is the closest you are to being like our Savior. But listen we are never more close to hell than when we harbor bitterness, when we harbor resentment, and when we harbor hurt. And I just believe in everything in my spirit that unity is possible. And there are just two simple things that can get us there to begin the journey today. It is repentance and it is forgiveness. And so right now, can we just stand up for a second, church? I want to I lead us in a moment. Because all of us in this place, we have two things. We have someone that we need to forgive, and we have someone that we need to repent to. And for a lot of us, it's the same person. But today, I believe that we can experience a little piece of heaven on earth. I believe we can experience freedom if it's your spouse and they're next to you, this is gonna be a real easy experiment. Or not experiment, more of a, of a practice. But every head bowed, every eye closed. Holy Spirit, God, right now, it's, I know in our hearts you're making it very obvious. You're making it clear. God, before, before forgive, God, bring to our minds the one, the person, the people that we need to repent to. God, where we have fallen short, where we have not been able to be humble, where our opinion has become large and our perspective small. God, if it's possible, Lord, may there be a moment of repentance, personal and real. God, if it's not possible right now, We lift that up to you. We say, I'm sorry, Father. For we have not just sinned against them, but we have sinned against you. God, forgive us for where we have not shown grace in the places where we have received grace. God, in the moment where you've paid back our debts, forgive us for then going and trying to get our debts paid. Jesus. We just ask for your forgiveness. And so we repent, God. We repent. And Lord, where there's someone today in our life that we need to forgive. Maybe we've acknowledged our stuff already, but it's just been like I've been holding on to unforgiveness. God, I pray for freedom right now in this space, in this place. God, bring that person to mind. God, help us to forgive. We need your spirit, Lord. This cannot be done in the natural, in the flesh, but only in the spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, you are good. We pray for unity. We pray for restoration. God, I pray for marriages. I pray for friendships. God, that today is the beginning of breakthrough. We love you, Jesus, we pray in your mighty and holy name. Amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together? Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.